Okay, I messed up everybody. This segment here, I'm going to put this at the top of the segment. This should have been uploaded on January 1st. It was done while I was at the beach. And I put it in on voice record because I didn't have any internet access out there. So I couldn't upload it and I didn't get home until after dark. And so I forgot about it. And then I went on and read the next chapters and put them here. And I've done two segments since this one. So this one actually goes before the last two segments. I'm sorry. So the page numbers should help you. I'm sorry about that, readers, listeners, whatever. So if you're confused, I'm sorry I messed up. Yep. From now on, you'll be able to tell because I've got page numbers in on every single one. And if I do a recording elsewhere like I did that day at the beach... I will make sure I <laughs> upload it as soon as I get home instead of forgetting about it. I don't know why I forgot about it. And then I was trying to put it on my website, too, and I noticed it last night. I was like, something's wrong here. I'm not getting all the segments. So that's the reason. Sorry about that. So here's my intro, and that's and I don't know how to change the date to get it. I can't get it to, like, sequence right. It really should be down a couple of chapters hope you get what I'm talking about alrighty thank you good afternoon I'm coming to you from the northern California beach Portuguese beach at Sonoma coast it's about 3.15 p.m. and I've had a nice walk and a nice little bit of photos Uh, a little bit of a lunch and I thought I would read some of my Emily Carr Growing Pains the autobiography of Emily Carr so I'm here outside of the normal place we'll see how this goes the ocean is in front of me the rocks I have I'll have uh, pictures on in my Instagram possibly later on a couple of videos I took interesting lovely day gorgeous weather happy new year history oh sorry it's this chapter is called the chapter is called St. Paul's we are now on about 121 pages in St. Paul's. Westminster School of Art did not open until September. When I was a little rested, a little steadier, I climbed the curving little iron stairs, stairways at the backs of omnibuses, and seated above the people, rode and rode, watched the writhe of humanity below. Sorry, let me start this again. Road and road means she's riding on the bus. I don't know. It didn't sound right to me. Westminster School of Art did not open until September. When I was a little rested, a little steadier, I climbed the curving little iron stairways at the backs of omnibuses and seated above the people, rode and rode, watching the writhe of humanity below me. I had never seen... I had never seen human beings masked like this, bumping, jostling, 
yet as indifferent to each other as trees in a forest. I puzzled, wondering, what was the sameness with a difference between a crowd and a forest? Density, immensity, intensity, that was it, overwhelming vastness. One was roaring, the other still. And each made you feel that you were nothing, just plain nothing at all. History always had bored me. Little Arthur's History of England in its smug red cover. Ugh, the memory of it. And now here before me was the smugness of it, ossified, monumented, spotted with dates thick as an attack of measles. The English had heads twisted round onto their backs like drowsy ducks afloat, their eyes on what they had not their eyes on what they had passed, not on what they were coming to. Dickens had taught me far more about England than had little Arthur. Dickens's people still walk the streets. lived in houses of old London. Little Arthur's great... Sorry, I'm in the car, so I'm like having to... I'm going to have to shift my book around a tiny bit. To take my seat back a tiny bit so I can have a little more room. <clears throat> little Arthur's great was sh- were shut up in dull books, battered monuments. Deep in the city, I happened one day upon Paternoster Row, a dark, narrow little way lined with bookshops. All the Bibles, prayer books, hymnals in the world began life here. I saw them sprawled open at the fly page. All the religious books that I remembered had had Paternoster Row printed inside them. I did not, as Mrs. as Miss Green's other PGs did, attend some fashionable church in the West End. Sunday was the day on which I crept into London's empty heart. Everyone had gone from it. All business houses were closed. The lonely old churches were open, but empty. All the light was pinched out of them by the grim huddle of business establishments. The old churches still had their bells, still rang them. Empty London threw back their clamor and echo. Often an entire congregation consisted of me, sitting under a very different, indifferent preacher, ushered in and out by a very pompous verger, or verger, in a black robe almost as cleric as the clergy. My coin looked pitiful in the pompous collection plate. Echo made the squeaky old parson's whisper hit back at you from every corner of the bare church. London's national religion was conducted either in St. Paul's Cathedral, the heart of London's heart, or in Westminster, Westminster Abbey in the West End. All immense events were solemnized in one or the other of these churches. The business houses and shops of St. Paul's <clears throat> of St. Paul's churchyard fell back 
from the cathedral, allowing its breathing it breathing space and sunshine. The steps up to her great doors were very, very wide. Beginning from each step, side of the steps was a circle of space encompassing the cathedral. It was lightly railed, but the gates were flung wide. Flowers and shrubs and benches were about, and always there were people sitting on the benches, eating things out of paper bags, feeding the pigeons and resting. St. Paul's is the Colonel of London, as London is the Colonel of England. Westminster Abbey is beautiful, too, but rather historical, and it was made a little cheap by sightseers who whispered and creaked. It had no it had not the unity of St. Paul's. There were chapels here and chapels there, all sorts of pokes and juts, tablets, monuments, and statues, great ones, bouncing from niches and banners flapping. St. Paul's was domed under one immense central round. High, pale light flooded down. Roll of organ, voice of chorister, prayer trembled upward. Always there were people in St. Paul's, standing, sitting, praying or doing nothing, not even thinking, wanting only to be let alone. At five o'clock each afternoon, the great organ played, flooding the cathedral with music. The prayer-soaked walls came alive. Great, small, rich, and shabby Londoners crept into St. Paul's to find sanctuary. Sightseers climbed hundreds of steps to look down from a high gallery running around the inside of the dome. It was considered a thing to do, one of London's sights. I did not want to sightsee St. Paul's. The people moved up there in the high gallery. The people moving up there in the high gallery were black spots in the mystery. I remained among the solid, silent company on the paved floor of the cathedral. And, as you can hear, (laughs) there's somebody getting in their car next to me. (coughs) Excuse me. We'll see how that turns out on the recording. I'm rolling up my window now. (laughs) Now I can turn off my car again. (coughs) That's the end of that chapter of St. Paul's. We'll see how that goes. Well, we should see what happens with this one because that car left. And I do need a little bit of <laughs> air in here to breathe. <laughs> so I have my window cracked. The next chapter is called Le- Letters of Introduction. Turmoil, crowding, too many people, too little air was hateful to me. I ached with homesickness for my West, though I shook myself, called myself fool. Hadn't I strained every nerve to get here? Why whimper? Aunt Amelia's mock-genteel PGs galled me at every turn. High-bridged noses, hard, loud, clear voices veneering the cold, selfish indifference they felt for each other with that mawkish, excessive deering. My turbulent nature was restive to be at work. It made me irritable and intolerant. Miss Green suggested the British Museum as a sedative. To the British Museum I went and loathed it, the world mummified. 
No matter which turn I took, I arrived back in the mummy room. Disgusting human dust swaddled in rags, dust that should have been allowed centuries back to build itself renewing into the earth. <clears throat> the great mummy wall, the great mummy halls stank of disinfectants. Visitors whispered and crept, place of overpreservation. All the solemnity choked out of death, making curiosity out of it, prying, exposing, indecent. <coughs> Miss Green said, <coughs> Excuse me. Miss Green said, The British Museum is marvelous, is it not, my dear? <coughs> It's disgusting. Good, decent corpses for me, Miss Green. Worms wriggling in and out, hurrying the disagreeables back to dust, renewing good Mother Earth. Aunt Amelia screeched. My dear, you are revolting. Recoiling from mummies, I turned to Parsons. Our clergyman at home had given me two introductory letters to brother clergy, his own particular brand in London suburbs. One had a fancy name, the other was Reverend John Brown, who lived at and perished in Balham. Balham or Balham, Balham, was two hours out of London by train. The same in the same suburb I had been commissioned by a Victoria widow to call on her well-to-do sister-in-law. The widow's husband had just suicided and left his family in difficult financial circumstances. I was to furnish the well-to-do in-law with the distressing particulars and hint at the straitened circumstances facing the widow. Jeez, life. <laughs> sister-in-law received me in a hideous drawing room. She wrestled with silk from the skin out and served tea very strong together with plum cake as black and rich as bog earth. She said, to suicide was very poor taste, especially if you had not first made comfortable provision for your family. Then at my request, she directed me to the residence of the Reverend John Brown. I meandered through the paved suburb, sorry, I meandered through the, through paved suburban streets <clears throat> that called themselves groves and along terraces sunk below sea, sunk below ground level and crescents that were as straight as knitting needles, a slatternly made very frilly as to cap and apron said, white here and took my letter into a room where teacups clattered after a pause the reverend came out holding my open letter he snapped his reading glasses into their case and adjusted a dangling prins sorry a dangling pins nez to his nose and looked at looked me over from hat to shoes what is it you want me to do for you young woman I felt myself go scarlet. Nothing, nothing at all, sir. I had to come here. I had to come because our home parson would have been mad if I hadn't. They'd have fussed if I had not promised. My people, I mean. 
I rushed towards the door. Stop! His roar was as if he were thundering amen over a huge congregation. Again, he changed glasses, scrutinized me, and reread my letter. You'd better have a cup of tea and meet my wife. He said it ponderingly, as if wondering if I would pour my tea into the saucer and blow it. I have had tea, thank you. But you have not met my wife. He gestured me into the drawing room with furious authority, a voice submerged in the vagueness that comes of deafness, called, John, dear, your tea is getting cold. I've sugared it. My dear, he waited for her to just the tin-eared trumpet and close her eyes against the impact of his bellow. Canadian, my dear. <coughs> his shout must have filled the trumpet to make her realize that I was standing in front of her. He took her hand and held it out at the same time, tapping the side of the trumpet sharply. Mrs. Reverend Brown winced. Her mild, kind eyes smiled into mine while she prepared for me a cup of tea, lavishly sugared. The Reverend then began to fire st statistic questions at me, roaring them in duplicate into the trumpet. <laughs> I, I did not know the population of Ontario, nor how many cases of salmon British Columbia shipped in 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 export each year. He began to look suspicious, then bellowed his final test, watching my face narrowly. You have heard my brother, the Reverend Samuel Brown, preach in Chicago? I have never been to Chicago. What? So few cities of importance in America and not know Chicago? Every American should be familiar with such cities as they have. But I do not live in America. I am Canadian. Same thing, same continent. <laughs> now he knew I was an imposter. You have finished your tea? He rose, took my cup, glanced towards the door. I rushed back to London, burned the balance of my letters of introduction. Westminster, Westminster Abbey, Architectural Museum. I went to Westminster to hunt up my art school. I was to become very familiar with Westminster Abbey because the art school lay just behind it, behind, being housed in the Architectural Museum in Tufton Street. There stood the richly magnificent abbey stuffed with monumental history, then a flanking of dim, cold cloisters, after that the treed, grassly digni grassed dignity of Dean's yard, and then you pass through an archway in a brick wall, and we're in Tufton. Sorry, and we're in Tufton Street. Here was the architectural museum, a last shred of respectability before Westminster plunged into terrible slum. In the architectural museum was housed the Westminster School of Art. I climbed the museum's grimy steps, pushed my shoulder against the heavy swing door, entered a dark, lofty hall smelling of ossification. Cold, deadly, deadly cold. What you wantin'? I am looking for, looking for the Westminster School of Art. Eh, but old, 
all a day in. The old janitor thumbed to a door up two steps, muttered, Orfs, Orfs, <laughs> and lighted a gas jet over the door. Down the entire length of the hall was lying a double row of stone couches on each of which stretched a stone figure. Who are these? Them is Grayton's, miss. The janitor's grim, dirty face went proud. In the office I found Mr. Ford, the curator, a white-bearded, tall old man, gentle, clean, too loving, too lovely for his gr for this grim setting. He smiled kindly, pen poised over his figuring. Yes? May I, please, may I join the art school? He reached for his enrollment book, wrote Emily Carr, Victoria, British Columbia. English? No, Canadian. Ah, Canadian, yes. Or, ah, oh, Canadian, eh. <laughs> Sorry, I'm not reading very well right now. I'm too distracted somewhat. Keep getting a little bit distracted here. English? No, Canadian. Ah, Canadian, eh? His smile enveloped Canada from east to west, warming me. So few over here accepted Canada. These people called us colonials, forgot we were British. English colonists had gone out to America with a certain amount of flourish years and years ago. They had faded into the new world. Later, undesirable, not wanted, had been shipped out to Canada. It was hoped that America would fade them out too. All the west side of the earth was vaguely America to England. This courteous old gentleman recognized Canada as herself, as a real separate place. How soon can I start work? As soon as the classrooms open next Monday. Miss Hurry, the museum was lighted when I came out of the office. A dreary young man in rusty black was drawing in a little black book propped against a stone, do a stone dove on a shelf, bits of cornices, stone lilies, and saints with their noses worn off. Why must these people go on and on, copying, copying fragments of the old relics from instinct? <clears throat> no, not from instinct. <laughs> Gosh. From extinct churches and old tombs as though they were the best that could be that could ever be and it would be sacrilege to beat them why didn't they want to outdo the best instead of copying always copying what had been done I walked down the center of the hall between the rows of stone sofas I could not see the faces of the great uns the crowns of their recumbent heads were towards me. Some had stone hair, some hoods of stone. The heads of some were bald. It chilled one to see their bareness against stone pillows. Hands crossed over stone bosoms, feet exactly paired, chipped old noses sticking up from stone faces. Uncozy stone robes, draping figure and sofa. Except for the curator, the Westminster Architectural Museum 
was grim. Something smelly was very close. The janitor was shooing the dreary young man out. He held wide the heavy door, beckoned me and cupped his filthy paw for a tip. Closing time. <clears throat> Fog was in dirty Tufton Street. I did not put a tip into the dirtier hand. He banged the door after me. Newton expected a tip for every nothing he did or did not do. The, that janitor was loathsome. My first experience of that type of cockney.